you take a Bible and turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Acts, chapter 20. For the past two Sundays, our family uh, was away from church here. We, we were in Macon, uh, worshipped at Strong Tower Fellowship, uh, a church plant that we uh, play a large part in. Very different. Uh, every church plant is unique based on the city, based on the constituency, based on the uh, leadership, uh, based on the time in history, all sorts of things. That's a, that's a very unique church plant. And my favorite church plant in the Bible was the church at Ephesus. Uh, here in Acts chapter 20 is the scene where the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to the uh, elders from the, the church at Ephesus. Uh, he administered there two to three years. And I want us to look at verse 13 and following of Acts chapter 20. Hear God's word. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asus, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asus, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. 
The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray together. Father, uh, bless this time. We ask that you might nourish our souls. In Christ's name, amen. Let's look at what Paul said to these elders as he left the church. There, as I mentioned, he had ministered. He'd almost died. He'd almost gotten killed in Ephesus. Ephesus was a metropolitan area. It was one of the seven, uh, had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world with the Temple of Diana. Uh, Much of the tourist trade in Ephesus, much of the economy and the commerce was built around uh, that Temple of Diana. And it was, uh, it was a livelihood for many people. There was a man named Demetrius. He was a silversmith. And he would make these trinkets and small idols of, of this grotesque image. If you've looked up in a dictionary, look up Diana or Artemis and uh, the goddess of fertility. And uh, Demetrius saw what was happening. He saw as people were converted to Christianity. It was not called Christianity then. It was called the way. As they were converted to the way, then they gave up uh, worship of Diana. So it, it affected him and others in their pocketbooks. Uh, so he basically incited a riot, had people for two hours, a large multitude gather, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, screaming that over and over and over, that they wanted Paul killed. And thankfully, cooler heads prevailed that day. The church started. 
But you can imagine going through something like that with other people, and in the years that followed, there was this tight bond. So Paul stayed there two to three years, the longest uh, one location where he ministered. Now he is coming back. He's on his third missionary journey. He's coming back there, and he's going to meet with the leadership from that church in Ephesus, uh, and this is what he says. So I just want to take a few moments and look at some of the highlights of, of how he exhorts uh, these elders. But there's a, though it was uh, leaders in the church, there's application for all of us there. Uh, first, he tells them just about his own pattern of ministry. Uh, he said he had served, the, in verse 19, he'd served the Lord with all humility. He said he did not consider his life as dear to himself. He'd engaged in the work of ministry because he'd been called to that work. It was not a profession. It was not just a job. It was a calling. It wasn't to build up his name. It wasn't to build an empire for the Apostle Paul. His ministry was entirely for the sake of Christ. That's the first thing. But then he goes on and he describes that he ministered with tears. In verse 19, he said Sir, he served the Lord with all humility and with tears. He says it again in verse 31. It had cost him. He had become emotionally uh, involved with people and affectionately involved in this ministry. Uh, he wasn't a mere professional. He didn't do this as a job. He loved these people. It was a calling. There was genuine affection. Uh, he had ministered from house to house. Now, I can tell you, uh, since we've been here approaching 20 plus, 23, 22, 23 years, uh, I have been experiencing the past couple of years wear and tear in an area I never heard anybody talk about in ministry. And I think because most never stay in a place that long. I grieve over our members who have died. And I miss some of my mentors that helped me when I was here as a young pastor. Uh, early on, when I'd been here about a year, I guess, and I was an assistant pastor, I preached one Sunday night. And Orban Howell met me in the back of the door. Most of you know Orban. And I had given my testimony that night. And I told how I'd been on the staff at a church in South Florida right out of college. I had, and I used the term I'd worked at the church. Orban met me at the door as he walked out, and all he said was, you served at the church. He didn't have to say anything else, but it humbled me on the spot. Orban had a gentle way of rebuking like that. And it, was a, it was a worthy rebuke. He meant you're not just hired by a church. It's got to be a call you served there. He goes on. Let me press on. The third place, he talks about the cost of the ministry. He had plots against him. He mentions in verse 19, people seeking to kill him. All of ministry is carried out uh, in enemy-occupied territory. I, I don't care if it's in Afghanistan or, or if it's in Macon. We are ministering on enemy-occupied territory, and I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about our enemy, the devil, Satan, who seeks, who, who goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may to destroy. As Thomas Cranmer put it, none of us goes to heaven on a feather bed. There will always be trials, always be tribulations. Fourth, he mentions the impartiality with which he administered. He administered to both Jews and Greeks. Now here was Paul, a Jew, uh, a one-time Pharisee. He had grown up with a, a definite racial barrier between Gentiles and Jews, Jews and Gentiles. You were not to eat with a Gentile if you were a Jew. Uh, you would have to go through certain cleansing 
rituals if you did? Can you imagine the transformation now that had taken place in his heart so that he administered without distinction? He said, I did not let a person's background or race or whatever affect whom I ministered to. Fifth, he'd been a tent maker. He elaborates on this in verses 34 to 35. Uh, He had worked while he ministered uh, in order to help those who were poor that he was ministering to. Sixth, and probably key, he said, I did, in verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring the whole purpose of God, or as the King James Version puts it, the whole counsel of God. He had declared the whole truth about God. That does not mean in two to three years that he was able to teach everything that needed to be taught. But the wording he uses here is a strange Greek cluster of words that basically talks about election, predestination, the eternal purposes of God. He did not hesitate to proclaim what God's purpose was about life, about your life, about their lives. It had not been, his message had not 